Imagine a young couple dating. Uh, imagine that one of them is deeply in love and ready to marry, but the other, well, is just a little bit uncertain. Not quite there yet. Let's say that the, uh, the young man plucks up the courage to say those three magical words, uh, I love you. But given that the young woman is just not quite there yet, she responds, I don't blame you. Or uh, duly noted. Or I love me too. Or the dreaded thank you. Um, now, before we just kind of laugh down the, the thank you uh, reply, while giving thanks for love in the context of human relationships might not be the most desired response, perhaps especially that moment for that young man, uh, it's actually not necessarily an inappropriate response. Thanks is not an inappropriate response for love. For example, uh, normally it's best for me to respond to my wife, to tell my wife I love you too, but there are occasions when sadly I sin against her and she forgives me and tells me that she loves me, that it would not be inappropriate for me to say thank you. Thank you for loving me so patiently, sacrificially, and faithfully. In fact, if that kind of response is occasionally appropriate in human relationships, then how much more is it appropriate in our relationship with God? And in fact, that's what Psalm 107 is. It is a response of thanks to God's love, even in the face of Israel's sin. In this psalm that we're looking at together, we learn that it's appropriate to give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love toward us. We learn that it's appropriate to give thanks for God's love because we're not deserving of God's love. And yet we have God's love. The psalms, the literature that we're looking at together this morning, they're really a wonderful collection of prayers and poems and songs of the ancient people of God. Often they were meant to be used in Israel's corporate worship. Uh, they are simple and profound. And the Psalms, they teach us of the breadth and depth of the emotional experience of the life of the people of God. There are Psalms of joy as well as Psalms of sorrow, Psalms of confidence, and Psalms really of, of confusion. Psalm 107 is a wisdom psalm. It is a psalm that calls us to perceive and discern within Israel's troubled history, their sinful history, that God has been present with His people, redeeming them, delivering them, and caring for them. Like it's appropriate for me to say thank you to my wife when she loves me and forgives me, it's appropriate for God's people to do the same. But that's not all. As I said, Psalm 107 teaches us that the love of God should not only call forth thanks from us, but transformation to now live wisely in light of God's love. That's why the message of this psalm is that the Lord's people are to give thanks and be wise about the Lord's love. So, beloved, here's the sermon in a sentence. Give thanks and be wise about the Lord's love. Give thanks and be wise about the Lord's love. There should be a full outline provided there in the bulletin that may help you to follow along in our study of Psalm 107. Let's begin with our first point. Give thanks that the Lord's love endures. Follow along now as I read Psalm 107, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 107, verses 1 to 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord Yahweh, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. 
Let the redeemed of the Lord Yahweh say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Psalm 107, as you see here, it opens with a command. The people of God are commanded to give thanks to the Lord. Now, why would we need to be commanded to give thanks? Because sometimes we're an unthankful people, aren't we? The psalmist, he even tells us why we are to give thanks. For the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The people of God give thanks to God for his goodness, which is to say for his enduring love. The Lord has made his goodness and love known to his people, not because of the things which they have done, but because in his grace, his undeserved favor to them, he has committed himself to them. In fact, God has made his goodness and love known to Israel despite the things they had done. Psalm 106, the psalm just before our psalm, it actually culminated in a reminder that because of Israel's sin, they were handed over to the nations surrounding their land. They were scattered in exile. Even in his judgment, that's what the exile was. It was a judgment, discipline act of the Lord. The Lord was showing his love to his people. I mean, consider what comes just before the opening verse of Psalm 107. Skip down to Psalm 106. Look at verse 45 to 47. Here's what the psalmist says. For their sake he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. Save us, O Lord Yahweh our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Now just look back at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 107. What do they make clear? They make clear that God has done this. That He has answered their prayer for redemption. That He has remained faithful in His steadfast love. God brought His people back from exile. God restored them. He gathered them in from the distant lands. And perhaps what is most remarkable is that they didn't return empty-handed. In Ezra, chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, we learn that when God regathered His people... Into the land, they were given Persian treasures as they returned home from exile. After the exile, Israel was returning back to their homeland with all that had been taken from them and more. It was just like what happened when they actually left Egypt. Remember, they plundered the Egyptians as they came out in the Exodus. So, from slavery in Egypt to the Exodus and to the exile, and through the exile to the restoration, what has been true about God? This has been true about God, that he is good to his people, that his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord's love can never fail because he can never fail. The Lord's love endures forever because he endures forever. He has always loved his people and he will never stop loving his people because he cannot stop loving his people. And just as this was true in the past, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of God, So this is true for us today, the New Testament people of God. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, the Lord is good and His love endures forever to you. The Lord loves you with the same love. I mean, remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul wrote this, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The, love, the Lord loves you, in the words of one children's Bible, with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, 
always and forever love. The Lord loves you even when you feel your life is shattered by tragedy and loss. The Lord loves you when you feel that your life is falling apart. The Lord loves you because His love endures, even when you feel like you can't endure. Even today, the Lord is gathering His people into His kingdom from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. People from all over the globe are coming to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. He is making His steadfast love known today. And he will keep making his steadfast love known every day until he calls all of his people home to himself. We should give thanks, for we know that one day we will be gathered with people from the north and the south and the east and the west, gathered around his throne in heaven to sing his praises and glory in his steadfast, enduring love. Give thanks that the Lord's love endures, and give thanks. That the Lord's love delivers. This is our second point. Give thanks that the Lord's love delivers. This is found in verses 4 to 32 of our psalm. Now these verses, verses 4 to 32, they contain four scenes of the Lord's delivering love. Let me just see, encourage you to see if you can spot these four scenes as we read Psalm 107, verses 4 to 32. Follow along as I read. Some wandered in desert wastes. Finding no way to a city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord Yahweh for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Some went down to sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord Yahweh for his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord Yahweh in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. 
Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. I have no doubt that as you listened and read those verses, you heard and noticed similarities along the way. Four times the word some appears, thus setting off a new scene for us to consider. Each scene, beginning with some, reveals a desperate dilemma. God's people are lost in the desert, or in a dark prison, or near death, or in the depths of the sea. In each scene, God's people, they finally come to their senses, and they cry out to the Lord in their trouble. And in each scene, God lovingly delivers them. The psalmist, he then reflects on each scene, calling the people of God to thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Each of these scenes has something to say to us about the Lord's love and the people that the Lord loves. In the first scene, there in verses 4 to 9, we're introduced to travelers who are lost. And the circumstances of this scene are terrifying. They are lost. They're not, they, they do not know where they're going. And they're hungry and they're thirsty and they're in a desert. They need to be delivered from this desert waste. And when they cry out to the Lord, they receive the delivery they so desperately need. Notice, too, the fullness of the Lord's delivering love in these verses. They made it to a city. That's where they were actually searching for when they first set out on their journey. And in answer to their hunger and thirst, the Lord no doubt provided them with food and water. But more than this, the Lord satisfies their hungry souls. Did you see that there? Think about this trajectory in the Bible. What did Mary sing about the Lord when the Lord promised to send the Savior through her? In Luke 1.53, we're told that Mary sang, He has filled the hungry with good things. What did Jesus promise himself in the Beatitudes? In Matthew 5.6, tells us this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And what is the hope of the people of God in glory? Revelation 7.16 tells us this, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Dear Christian, one day, the Lord will deliver you from the desert waste of this world, and your soul will be forever satisfied. How should God's people respond to this love? This love that delivers from desert wastes? With thanks. Now, in the second scene, verses 10 to 16, we see that the people of God are imprisoned in a dungeon of darkness. What have they been convicted of? They had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. You see that there in the text? God will not allow His people to simply continue in unrepentant rebellion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us that God disciplines those whom He loves. This discipline is even part of His loving deliverance. We see here that God humbled His people. He bowed their hearts down with hard labor. This hardship was from His hand. They needed to fall to the ground in humility. For in their pride, they had exalted themselves to God's throne. You realize that when we sin, that's what we're doing. When, whenever we rebel against God's word, whenever we spurn his counsel, we endeavor to set ourselves up above him. When we rebel, we challenge and question God's authority, wisdom, and love. When we sin, we tell God that we will rule our lives rather than him. 
When we sin, we tell God that we know better. When we sin, we tell God that he doesn't love us. Because if he did, he wouldn't tell us no. But who are we to talk back to God? Who are we to declare that his words, that that our words are better than his words? That our ways are better than his ways? Who are we to assert that we see things more clearly than the God who sees everything? This is what Israel had done in their rebellion against the words of God. And for their own good, for their deliverance, they needed to be humbled. They needed to see that no one could help them and that they could not help themselves. They had to know that none could help before they remembered the one who could help. When the people of Israel remembered God, when they cried to him for help, he was there and he answered them. He delivered them from their distress. The affliction that God sent to them had its purpose. God never needlessly afflicts his people or allows them to endure affliction. He always has a loving and divine design in it, even when we can't perceive it. We don't judge the Lord by our feeble, fallen, and finite sense. No, instead, the words of William Cooper, we trust God for his grace. We believe that in his goodness and love, that behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. That is what this psalm teaches us. That when we despair in the desert, we call out to our deliverer. That when we are imprisoned in a dungeon of darkness because of our own sin, we call out to our deliverer. In every way, God made his love known to those who were imprisoned. He brought them out of darkness and into light, out of death and into life, out of chains and into freedom. You see there in verse 16, we see that he opens prison doors and sets the captives free. Christian, hasn't God done that with you? Hasn't he, in the words of Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom you have redemption, the forgiveness of sins? And hasn't he set you free over and over again in his great love? How should the people of God respond to this love? This love that delivers from darkness with thanks, with with gratitude, with humility. In the third scene, you see it there in verses 17 to 22, we meet fools. Fools who through their own iniquities suffered affliction and drew near to the gates of death. And here we see that there's actually great continuity with the previous scene. Those who were in the dark dungeons were there because they had rebelled against the words of God. In their words, they too suffered affliction because of their iniquities. Here in this third scene, there's also actually great continuity with the first scene. There's a food issue that really rears its ugly head again. Where the desert wanderers in the first scene were hungry, this time we're told that these fools, they loathed any kind of food. Do you see the foolishness of that? When you're hungry, to loathe any kind of food? Sin is not only foolish, or who who could say that it was ever wise to rebel against the Almighty God? But sin also makes you a fool, and it escalates your foolishness. And what the author is telling us in tying this scene to the previous two scenes is that these people are part of the same group of people in the previous verses. This is just different ways of looking at their rebellion. These are the same people. These are God's people. God delivers his people from all kinds of circumstances, lost, imprisoned, and mired in foolishness. He is near to his people in deserts, dungeons, and death. 
The way of God's wisdom is the way of eternal life. But the way of folly and sin is the way to the gates of death. Notice, though, that even on death's doorstep, there is the hope of life. For in his steadfast love, God delivers fools from the clutches of death, too. And notice how he does it. He gives them the food they need, the food of his word. His word leads them out of their distress and affliction and heals them. I'm reminded by these verses of what we read in another psalm, Psalm 119, verses 103 to 107. Listen to these words. This is about God's word. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. In other words, I'm no longer a fool. Psalmist goes on, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In other words, I'm no longer headed to destruction. I am severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. There's a reason that the Lord Jesus said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Do you live by God's word? Do you feast and feed upon God's word? Do you see that you need God's word? Do you have an appetite for God's word? Is it sweet to you? Do you love God's word? Or do you loathe God's word? How would an independent auditor of your life answer that question? By how you interact with God's word. Do you loathe it? Or do you love it? Beloved, remember that through God's word, powerfully attended by his Holy Spirit, the Lord lovingly delivers us. We need his word. For salvation, we need his word for sanctification. By the healing power of God's word, the lost are found. The rebellious are made obedient, and fools are made wise. How should God's people respond to this love? This love that delivers from death? With thanks. We should give thanks for God's love. In fact, in verse 22, the psalmist gives us a particular application. How should you give thanks? You should declare your love and thankfulness to God by offering your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Give Him your life. Glorify Him through your labor. And reflect His character in your love for others. But that's not all the psalmist tells us to do. He tells us to sing of the Lord's great love. We need to sing boldly and loudly and with joy for all the, our God has done for us. Early Christian gatherings were marked by their singing and recognized by their singing. And ours should be too. Let your voices be heard. Let them be heard by others and over the instruments. When the Lord Jesus called you to faith, he called you to sing. Even if you don't like what your voice sounds like, even if others don't like what your voice sounds like, do you know who does? The Lord Jesus does. He gave you your voice and he commanded you to sing, regardless of whether or not you like your voice or others like your voice. He likes it and he wants to hear it. So sing joyfully to the Lord. Sing loud, exuberant songs of joy. In the fourth scene, there in verses 23 to 32, we meet people, the people of God, heading out to the sea to do business on the great waters. Now, nothing is said initially in this scene that would indicate to us that this venture was particularly sinful or wrong. But what is seen on the sea is the wondrous work of God's hand. It was God who spoke and rode upon the storm. It was the Lord who effortlessly tossed their ships about like a boy tosses a baseball up 
and down, up and down. Their ships rode the treacherous waves seemingly up to the heavens, only to have them immediately ripped down to the depths. Love drove the winds of that storm, for those thrown up and down on the sea had to throw themselves at the feet of the Lord of creation. And one wonders why it took them so long to pray. Why did they have to wait until their courage melted away? Why not pray right away? Why did they have to wait until they were reeling about and staggering, like the psalmist says, like they were drunken men who were at their wits' end? Maybe there were illusions of independence in their hearts. Maybe they thought to themselves in the words of the boastful man in James 4, 13, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make a profit. But what is the truth? The truth is that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Children, youth, young adults, I wonder, do you consider turning to the Lord as a last resort or as your first resort? Don't wait like these sailors did. Cry out to the Lord. Talk to Him in prayer. Share, him the fear, share with Him the fears of your hearts and give Him thanks. Talk to your parents about how God is able to deliver you from trouble and why you should turn to Him first. Maybe these sailors thought that they didn't need to depend upon God. And this storm was God's way of showing them that they did. Whatever the case may be, money cannot calm a storm. But the Maker can. When they cried to the Lord in His steadfast love, He delivered them. The one who commanded the sea to throw its waves around, commanded the sea to be still. The Lord not only brought them to a glassy sea and gladness, but as we see there in verse 30, He brought them to their desired haven. Presumably... The Lord let them conduct their business. Just one more generous sign of His steadfast love. How should God's people respond to this love, this love that delivers with thanks? The call and conclusion of this fourth scene, where the people of God are called to extol the Lord in the congregation of the people, reminds us of the corporate nature of God's delivering love. Yes, it is true that God has delivered you, and He's delivered a people as well. He's collected you and brought you into a family. In the end, these scenes, these pictures, are but a summary of God's love across the ages. In love, God delivers people from deserts, from dark dungeons, from death, and from the depths of the sea. The Lord delivers His people from all kinds of distress. Has the Lord delivered you? Have you recognized that without God, you are lost and wandering about in this life? Have you recognized your need for a city? A city in which to dwell is not a crime-free, convenient, and comfortable city, but God's heavenly city. Have you recognized that you've rebelled against the words of God, that you've broken His commands? Have you recognized that you have spurned God Himself in deciding to live the way that best suits you? Have you recognized the foolishness of life without God? Have you recognized God's authority over the creation and yet rejected His authority over you, one of His creatures? And have you recognized from Psalm 107 that in His steadfast love, the Lord can deliver you? These scenes display not only a people in distress, but the loving God who delivers those who cry out to Him 
in their distress? Would you cry out to the Lord for deliverance? He is able to deliver you. And God has especially proved his loving deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. On the pages of the New Testament, we meet the eternal Son of God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. He is the great deliverer. And in Matthew's Gospel, we learn that Jesus, he made his way into the wilderness where he hungered and thirsted, and he resisted Satan's temptations there so that he could deliver us from the hopeless wilderness that our sins bring us into. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah, the Lord Jesus told us in Luke's Gospel that he has come to set the captives free. In Mark's Gospel, we learn that Jesus resuscitated Jairus' daughter, that little girl who drew near to the gates of death. In John's Gospel, we learn that Jesus delivered Lazarus from death. And as we read earlier in the service, Jesus slept in a boat, a boat tossed about by a deadly storm, all so that he could deliver his disciples from the winds and the waves by his word. Friends, the deliverance that we read about in Psalm 107 is available to you in Jesus Christ today. He has proven to us that his love is strong enough to deliver us from the punishment that our sins deserve. On the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ, he laid his life down in the place of sinners like you and me. And though he was sinless, he died bearing the punishment due to the sins of all of those who would ever turn from their sins and place their faith in him. Jesus laid his life down in love only to take it up again three days later. God raised Jesus from the dead to deliver sinners from being eternally lost, to set sinners free from the chains of sin, to deliver sinners from eternal death, and to bring sinners to a most desired haven, heaven with God. Friend, if you're here today and you're not a believer and follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then I want to urge you to turn from your sins and to cry out to God, and to be delivered through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that He lived for you, that Jesus lived for you, the life that you've not lived. Life of perfect obedience to God and His Word. Believe that Jesus died for you, the death that your sins deserve, the death that you deserve to die, and that He suffered the hellish torment of God's wrath for you. And believe that Jesus was raised from the grave so that you might be accepted as righteous in God's sight. Jesus is the great deliverer that Psalm 107 looked forward to. And you should place your faith in Him now. Friend, if you want to talk more about what it means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and so be saved by Him, come and find me at the door after the service. I'd love to talk to you about this good news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us always give thanks to God for the deliverance that we know through Jesus Christ. Do not let a day go by without calling out to your loving deliverer and giving him the thanks and praise that is due to him. And the third lesson that we learn from Psalm 107 is this, that love acts. This is the third point that we want to consider together. Give thanks that the Lord acts in love. And as we consider this point, read verses 33 to 42 of Psalm 107. 33 to 42. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water, into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell, and they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessings, they multiply greatly. 
and he does not diminish their livestock. He does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Now we don't need to linger here for long. For the truth that the Lord acts in love has been revealed in the previous two sections. We've seen that the Lord acts through love, gathering his people together again in the promised land after the exile. And we've seen that God acts in love in delivering his people from different dilemmas. This section, though, stands out in a different way and reflects on God's love in a different way. Here we see that in love, God acts for the good of his people. And God acts to judge wickedness. God, these verses make clear, has the power to reverse the fortunes of the righteous and the wicked. God can reverse circumstances. God can turn a river into a desert and a desert into a river. He has control and power over the waters. He can pour them out and dry them up at will. God can also make the land prosper and yield a bountiful crop for its inhabitants. He has control and power over the land. In short, the creation does the Creator's bidding. And the Creator does make the creation do His bidding. We learn this especially there in verses 39 to 41. When His great blessings go to the heads of the people, and they begin to afflict and oppress the innocent, the Lord can pour out His contempt on their wickedness and bring them down, all while bringing the righteous, the poor and needy, up. And we know that the Lord views the needy as His people. For the Old Testament often portrays God as the great shepherd of His people. We see that especially, think of Psalm 23 uh, and Ezekiel 34. And here we see the Lord makes the needy into flocks. And what's more, the upright, that is the righteous, those who trust in God, see these acts of God and they're glad, they're grateful, they're thankful. The wicked... On the other hand, having put their hope in their prosperity and their possessions, they're silenced. There's nothing left for them to say, for their boast has been taken away. And here's a promise from our loving Lord. He will act to make all things right in the end. We know that the end has not yet come. We see injustice in our world, and it grieves us. Persecution still occurs. Persecution of God's people still occurs in our world. And it should lead us to pray for our afflicted brothers and sisters. We know that the unrighteous continue to mock God's people. And that their mouths have not yet been shut. Simply because that day of judgment has not yet come, does not mean it will not come. For God has promised that it will. He has appointed a day which He will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. The upright, they have always welcomed God's promises from a distance. And as verse, in four, verse 42, the upright see this coming day, they hope for it, they long for it, and in faith are glad that it will one day come in God's perfect timing. God has delivered in the past and on the last day, when the Lord Jesus comes to judge the world in love, he will deliver his people safely home to heaven. And it is this truth, the truth that in love God will one day act to set everything right, which leads us to our fourth and final point that we should be wise about love. The fourth point of Psalm 107 is this, that we should be wise about the Lord's love. Read verse 43. Whoever is wise 
Let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord, Yahweh. Whoever is wise, that is to say, whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever believes the Lord, let him attend to, let him understand these things that have just been mentioned and proclaimed and declared in this psalm. Our thankfulness for the love of the Lord should transform the way we live our lives. We should not be like those in those four scenes of deliverance. We should not wander away from the Lord or seek to feed our souls on the food of the world. We should not rebel against the words of our loving Lord, but instead obey His word of love. We should not be fools and dive headlong into iniquity, nor should we ignore the Creator's loving call upon our lives. He has displayed His love in creation and redemption, and wisdom is attending to His love and living in light of it. We need to know our Lord of love and know the love of our Lord. Psalm 107 teaches us that His love is steadfast, that it endures, that it's ever-present, that His love is present in our discipline and in our deliverance. Indeed, often His loving discipline leads to our deliverance. We should be wise about that when the Lord's hand is heavy upon us. He means it to drive us to Him. When the Lord lays His loving hand of discipline, do not let that drive you away but draw you near to Him. Psalm 107 teaches us that when all hope is lost, when we feel lost, His love is there. This psalm teaches us that when we have put the chains of our sin back on, Christian, when you have gone again to eat of that vomit, remember the Lord's love for you. Remember that He is ready to take those chains off again and feed you a bountiful meal from His Word, if you would but cry out to Him in your distress. Let Him hear your voice. And today, if you hear His voice in His Word, do not harden your heart, but give Him your heart. Those who are wise fight against the temptation to doubt the Lord's love. Instead, those who are wise labor to depend upon His love. Those who are wise know that wickedness will not have the last word. You don't have to go and get revenge upon your sibling or your co-worker or your boss or your family member. No, we can entrust justice to the Lord. Those who are wise know that one day the Lord will right all wrongs and that He will bring His loved ones into His heavenly kingdom, that great city of perfect rest, The wise, they consider, they meditate, they reflect on, and they live in light of the steadfast love of the Lord. Not just today, not just on Thursday, but every day. And this is where I want us to conclude. What does it mean to consider the steadfast love of the Lord? It certainly means all of the things that the psalmist commands us to do in Psalm 107. No less than five times he commands us to give thanks. He commands us to proclaim God's love. He commands us to offer sacrifices of thanksgiving, tell of His deeds, sing songs of joy, praise Him in the assembly and extol Him. Extol the works of our God. Each day the Lord gives you, what will you consider? What will you thank Him for? Praise Him for? Give Him thanks for His love. 
especially for his love in Jesus Christ. The love of Christ that went into the wilderness for you. The love that was willingly bound in chains by a Roman guard and led to the cross with none to help. The love that for us and for our salvation endured the storm of God's wrath on the cross. The love that for us broke the chains of sin and death through his resurrection from the dead. And for the love that now leads us through the wilderness of this world, eventually to our heavenly city and the new Jerusalem. Each day, we should consider and live in light of the love that endures and acts and delivers. We'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so and live that truth as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have redeemed us in love, that you have delivered us from our depravity, that you have rescued us from our foolishness and sin. And Father, we pray and ask that by your grace and for your glory, in the power of your Spirit, you would cause us to live in light of your love. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.